Hello, and welcome to the Game Development Podcast by Dark Paradigm Games. We're making a series of podcasts on important game development topics that we think will be useful for you. We've learned a lot from starting up an indie game development studio, so stay tuned for the whole series to learn our successes and mistakes. I am your host, Edwin Dizer, and I'm here today with... Jacqueline Martin. I'm creative director and co-founder of Dark Paradigm Games. And we have some wonderful guests with us today who together form Sinosaur, which is a sound design and music and general sound production team. Perhaps you can explain better, Bas and Nathan. Yeah, uh, I'm uh, Bas Bertrand, uh, and I'm one of the guys from Sinosaur. Um, yeah, with Sinosaur, we, uh, we were three guys. And uh, what we try to do is that we uh, take care of the whole audio process within games. So we take care of the composition, the sound design, and the technical sound design, which includes the uh, implementation in the middleware and game engine. And with that, we try to uh, get a more coherent sounds in the game. Oh, that sounds exciting. Um, maybe you can both introduce yourself a little, like what you do, um Nathan uh, told me that you both have different roles, but yeah, maybe Nathan, introduce yourself. <laughs> Who are you? Yeah, hi, uh, I'm Nathan, or Nathan, if you want to use my Dutch name. Um, I'm a composer, voiceover producer, and technical sound designer for games. I've studied at the HKU University of the Arts Utrecht uh, for music and technology, and I'm following a master's there as well right now. Uh, where I'm delving into game audio more and really specializing in there. And on the side, I'm a, a metal artist. <laughs> it influences my music a lot, so I thought I'd mention it. Yeah. What's your instrument, out of curiosity? Uh, I play guitar, mainly. Uh, I also dabble in some bass and keyboard. But uh, yeah, the main thing is guitar. And uh, how about you, Bas? So uh, I'm also a Dutch guy, also based in Utrecht. I'm Bas Bertrand. Um, I also graduated uh, music and technology at the School of Arts. That's where I also know Nathan uh, from uh, in 2019. And um, I'm a composer and sound designer for games and film. Uh, but I also do projects in theater, for example. So I'm quite broad orientated even though my focus nowadays is more on games. Yeah, and um, I think I would say that's quite a common trend among general uh, composers these days. Would you agree that people generally have quite broad skill bases now? Yeah, I think so. I think that's true. I think uh, it also has to do with that this uh, sound can be you know, formed into different... Um, I say <laughs> that in English. <laughs> uh, into uh, different mediums. Uh, even with the same skill set, even though you have, for, for, for example, uh, specific skills for each medium, you can apply it into different uh, oh. mediums. That's actually something that I found very interesting because um, I have absolutely no knowledge about sound design or music design. But um, I come from that creative side where I do understand what um, works together. And I was wondering how, um, for example, music for film differs from music for games, or is there something that makes it very different to compose for one or the other? 
Uh, well, there is one big factor, and that's that um, films are set in stone. Like, there's this point where you go from A to B, and that's it. So you always know what's about to happen. You always know uh, what's going to happen. So you can make music for that very easily. Or, well, it's, I'm not saying it's easy, but it's... Um, uh it's it's kind of uh the well let me phrase it like this the tough side the tough part about music for games is that you know it has to sound good everywhere and uh, the player can do anything so you have to be prepared uh, with the music with some kind of system to uh have it you know play the right mood and play the right emotions or invoke the right emotions at the right times and that can get quite quite tricky to time that right and uh, music-wise, I'd say that's the big difference. Yeah, no two playthroughs of a game are going to be the same. So you can't have a piece that lasts exactly. one minute in mm. a particular section because mm. the next person who plays it might take two minutes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, actually, this is, uh, the, the composition is also made by the player itself in a way um, because it reacts on his actions. Mm. And that makes it really interesting for me, at, at least. It makes it really interesting that um, it's actually a rep representation. If it's a really good soundtrack for a really good interactive soundtrack, then it can is a representation for somebody's gameplay. Um, and I think that's really interesting about game uh, music so and game audio. That would mean that just by playing a game, if you have, for example, I'm just throwing it out, adaptive music or something, then the player itself in your opinion, become some sort of composer? In a way. I mean, the gameplay itself, uh, how, somebody, how somebody game, plays a game, and it really depends on the kind of game, of course. You have really, uh, you have huge differences in this, of course. But um, uh, in a way, a player is making the score. <laughs> yeah. There are, of course, uh, some games where that's very at the forefront of the game. Um, this is going back a while, but I think it was a PS2 game called Flow, which, oh, yeah, 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 you, you control, you basically just control a graphic, I think, oh. and the way you move it controls the, the music. I think it was composed by uh, Austin Wintry, who also composed uh, Apsu and Journey. Nice, right. yeah. Wow. I, I'm, I could be mistaken, but I think it is also, and he is amazing. But yeah, that's a good example of this. Probably the most extreme it gets, um, but... Um, yeah, it's a it's a nice point. I think we'll delve into that more later. But first of all, I just mm -hmm. wanted to ask you some quite uh, general questions, uh, especially because on your website, um, Bus, <laughs> you mention mad professor-like yeah, experiments. We sucked a little. When you're, when you're composing, <laughs> and I just had to find yeah, out more very about intrigued. that. And your, <laughs> yeah, your yeah. creative process. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, it's actually an interesting thing because it's, um, well, I, I wrote this line of text, I think, about a year ago uh, when I just, when I was actually still on the uh, on the School of Arts studying. And back then, I all my process, and now as well, all my processes consist of a lot of experimentation and a lot of darlings being killed. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's what I mean by met like experiments. It's like uh, I take a sound and I deform it until it's um, in, until it's actually what I want it to be. And then some, and often you don't e even hear what it was before. You know, I can take um, a bite of an apple and make. A uh, whole soundscape of it, and that's what I really like. Um, 
but it sounds um, it, it, there is some there there is some kind of structure in this. I know that if I uh, grind on this sound for let's say a day, then it becomes something which I haven't had in mind in the first place. Even though I had to do a lot of sound experience. Wow. Um, yeah, Nathan, so, are you also <laughs> experiencing it similar, or is sound creation or music creation completely different for you? Um, I think there are similarities. Um, for me, like I don't do a lot of sound design. That's more boss's forte, I'd say. But with music, um, usually I I start with an idea or a story, and from that um, I just improvise and I um, I just you know I check what it's become after I'm done improvising and trying stuff. And then, you know, if I don't like it, I'll just go deform it as well. I'll just, you know, try to absolutely make a monstrosity out of it to see if anything comes from it. Hmm. And if it doesn't, I just, uh, you know, I just shove it aside and start another piece and do the same. And I just, uh, you know, I, I check what uh, what is best at the end of the day. And then uh, and then I'll, I'll use that or I'll try again another day. And, uh, you know, but it's kind of the same approach. I see. I already have another question. What because you said oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because you said Fast does more of the sound design and I don't really know what what you do different now. <laughs> because I have absolutely no clue. Okay, what what you mean what's the difference between what Nathan yeah. does and what so I do? You do sound design and Nathan also does sound design oh. but different. <laughs> uh, yeah yeah okay yeah okay i totally get the confusion here mm -hmm. because and this is actually really common in in both game and film and theater if you talk about sound and different um different you know um uh, i said a different w uh, way to describe what you do then it's always really confusing um i think the biggest difference is that um between uh if you if you if you uh, work as a composer then you create the soundtrack of a game or of a film. So you create all the, you know, the the music for the game and make it interactive. Um, if you do the sound design, then you focus on all the sounds which represent the world where we, as a player, are in in that game. So, for example, that can be all the sounds of the surroundings of the forest, of um, but also the sounds of all the. Uh, the mechanics of the machines in the game, for example. Mm -hmm. And uh, then there's something different about being a technical sound designer. Uh, maybe I think you can explain that better, Nathan. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, so the difference between sound design and technical sound design, uh, which is another term, is that a technical sound designer is really more of a link between the programmer and the sound department when you're talking about game development. And uh, a technical sound designer is the one that makes sure that uh, sounds get implemented into the game right and the music gets into implemented into the game, game right. And um, from there, he can also do a lot of tweaking with like, if you have a certain sound, let's say a footstep, then you can randomize the way it's played back. You can increase the pitch a little or uh, increase the length of the file a little, but that's all usually done in the um, in middleware uh, that you use to implement the sound into games. So the technical sound designer also has a big role in how the game ends up sounding. 
So that's another term uh, to describe uh, people making sound for games. So for the game devs out there who maybe want to do some solo audio work, what middleware would you generally be using? Uh, I think uh, mainly FMOD and um, there's like two big mi um, middleware uh, programs right now uh, and that's FMOD and WISE. Um, but uh, WISE is for people with a bigger budget. So um, with FMOD you can actually uh, do one free project a year if I'm not mistaken. Um, uh, so you don't have to pay for using that um, if you're a smaller uh, team starting out or if you're a solo person starting out and you want to publish your project, then you won't need to pay for FMOD as long as you keep your revenue and your budget for that project under a certain amount. Uh, I think it's half a million even if you uh, yeah. are under $500,000 on budget, development budget, then it's free to use, so, yeah. uh, which is quite yeah. a lot. Actually. Don't be too yeah. successful. <laughs> 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 yeah, otherwise you pay. Um, so what would you recommend, like, because now I learned, okay, there's a technical artist, there's a composer, and there's a sound effect person. Um, so let's imagine I'm a, I'm having a huge uh, um, company, studio, whatever, and how would my sound department look like? What types of people would I hire? And then the other question, let's imagine I'm a really small indie game studio. Um, what would be the person I would need? Okay. So you're talking about the difference also between a big triple uh, A studio and that sound yeah, for, department. For me, I, I just wonder because um, I know that you, for example, in art need a concept artist, you need a technical artist. Um, I know the roles there, but mm. I don't know what type of jobs uh, you would have in the sound industry. Also, mm. um, would you even have in-house sound or is that something that you would completely outsource? Uh, you absolutely would have some. Uh, it depends. If you're a big studio, um, my reference right now is like uh, Guerrilla Games is the biggest game studio in the Netherlands. Uh, and I know that there's a lot of people there for the sound department. Uh, a lot of sound designers mainly and also uh, an audio programmer. Uh, so that's a person who basically writes all kinds of scripts for audio programs because they don't use a standard tools to implement everything if i'm right so they need a custom programming for audio so they have a, a special person for that and they also have people that um, uh, concern themselves with voiceover so they do a lot of um, flying over to la to record people and then um, you know editing everything together making sure the dialogue's right with what's said by the actors uh, and then there's also some kind of a creative director for sound. Uh, so their sound department is pretty huge. Um, but even then, uh, the music specifically, they outsource. Hmm. So even with that big yeah. of a company, they, they do outsource things. Uh, and I yeah. think also there's a reason for this, for the, that they outsource the, the music um, and not the sound design. Because I think uh, when you when the soundtrack is being made and a lot of people are working on the soundtrack, then you don't get a really coherent uh, coherent soundtrack, you know. No. So a soundtrack has to be 
often coming from one or a few persons or at least one composer you know who oversees the whole uh, the whole uh, process and where with sound design you can uh, if you have a really big game you can say okay you make all the uh, sounds for this uh, robot character for <laughs> example in the game and you make all the sounds for the forest so then people can focus on specific parts and make and of course they have to pay attention that it all fits well together but that's Way, way easier to um, to spread out over more people, I think, compared to music. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I think um, Blizzard may have some in-house composers. I've seen that post being advertised, but I've only seen it in just the very biggest game companies that I've seen. And I think they may want an in-house composer because they want somebody on salary because games like World of Warcraft uh, are constantly being added to and changing. So in fact, that's almost a way of keeping the sound consistent across the whole game. They just keep the same guy on salary who can yeah, yeah, then write music for expansions. Wow. Yeah, we yeah. already dove completely into the topic because, yeah, <laughs> why not? Um, but <laughs> how did you two actually get into sound design music? What is your inspiration? Uh, yeah, well, I think I have to dig deep, though. Um, uh, well, for, for me, it's just I've always been busy with music and, and sound. Like, um, from, from the moment I, I was able to buy a Game Boy Color, um, I, I, I nonstop played Pokemon. And um, from there on, I, I started playing guitar. And at some point, I was just, like, trying to combine what I, what I liked in life most. So it kind of led me to doing audio for games. It's it's kind of natural for me because I've been doing it. I've been doing stuff that um, uh, y you know that has to do with games and music since I was a child. So um, yeah, I guess that's it. Not really a deep answer, but or did you mean more like how did you get into the industry and doing things? I mean, uh, that was a perfectly fine answer, but you can also answer that <laughs> while you edit. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose. <clears throat> Yeah, so, um, well, basically, I was doing a, a study in IT, and it wasn't really my thing, and I was desperately looking for something that, to combine it. But um, the HKU um, is the only school in the Netherlands that actually has some focus on game audio uh, or interactive music, like, at all. There's not, not a lot of places for it. So from, from there, I got into contact with a lot of uh, game devs and people who, uh, who do it passionately because they also have an entire game development um, school. So from there, I started doing projects and kind of developing my own vision of what uh, music and audio and games should be. And, um, and yeah, now we're here with Sinosaur. <laughs> it's, it's kind of hard to... Um, summarize the entire history of doing the things you do <laughs> but yeah, uh, but yeah of course oh. so boss can you summarize yeah. the entire history of how <laughs> you got here and why you're in sound three words <laughs> <laughs> no. yeah i can i can i can tell well actually it's, it's it started really funny uh, my whole music game journey I went in a lot of different directions, but it started all when I was, I think, about 10 years old. I told my parents, like, Mom, Dad, I want to play saxophone. <laughs> and they, and they, they, they didn't play any instruments. They, they didn't yeah, they didn't know about anything. And they thought, like, yeah, if you want to learn an instrument, 
the first thing you play is the flute. So they said, okay, boy, here, you have a flute <laughs> and uh, go and play. So there I was as a 10 year old boy. I wanted to play this nice instrument, you know, the saxophone in class for the flute, which I hated. So after one year, I, I told my parents, mom, dad, I hate music. I never want to make music again. <laughs> so um, that's how my music career started. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so two years later, um, we were somewhere, uh, I think in the south of Holland with friends of my parents. And uh, one of those uh, people, they brought a the guitar with them. And I was obsessed from the first moment I was just playing the whole day in that weekend. And after that, um, I didn't have any guitar, but my parents were also like, yeah, we don't want to buy you a guitar because, you know, the last thing we, uh, the flute, you also th throw through that away. <laughs> so um, uh, I, got, I got a hand on the guitar of a friend of mine, but it only had three strings. Um, so I played for, uh, let's, I think six months on a guitar with three strings. Uh, a lot uh, the whole day <laughs> and after that my parents are like ah, okay this guy he's for he's he's serious about this so we buy him a guitar you weren't the other two strings <laughs> no no they <laughs> i mean the whole guitar it was just that's why somebody gave it to me it was a mess um so then uh, i went uh, and buy, bought my first guitar and uh, a month later i uh, got into my first band and uh, I kept on playing in bands for uh, for years, actually. Um, and until after high school, I, um, I, 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 I took a gap year. And um, I, I, I really wanted to go to the conservatory, actually, to play guitar and to become a jazz musician. I played a lot of jazz in that period. Um, so I went, I went away for a year. Um, learned to play sitar, actually, oh. uh, the Indian instrument, and uh, came back and I was like, nope, I'm not going to go to the conservatory. I want to do something more broad and more challenging. So I went to the School of Arts uh, and they accepted me. And um, yeah, from there on, I actually, I, 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 <laughs> I went there with the idea that I wanted to become a film composer. But um, when I got there, I focused first on sound art, so I made this crazy interactive sound installations. And that's where my whole interest for interactive sounds started. So I made a lot of art installations, uh, sound art installations. And uh, after that, I came back to film and made, made uh, music for films again. And that's when actually I thought like, yeah, okay, I can, I can make the interactive music. I can make music for the films and I love playing games now. So this is meant to be. <laughs> yeah. uh, so that's kind of how the whole journey uh, ended there. And yeah, now, nowadays I'm, uh, my main focus is on, uh, on, on games. It's interesting that for a lot of people in game sound, they've kind of found their way there haphazardly. Um, I think probably as a career, it just wasn't taken that seriously, maybe 10, 20 years ago, uh, when a lot of us were growing up. So perhaps there was, there was a moment for a lot of people um, where they just thought, actually, why not combine my two interests of music and games and get into game audio? Mm -hmm. I, think, I think that's a really interesting one because um, I think it's also not really long ago that uh, 
music for games made a huge uh, development or huge step um, because there was, you know, basically more processing power available for music. So where like 20, 30 years ago, you were really limited by the, uh, by the uh, processing power and how you could make music for games. Um, nowadays, you know, you still have to keep that in mind, but it's, you know, the, the, the possibilities are endless. <laughs> and it's also way more intuitive to make music for games these days, I think. And I think there's much less of a barrier to entry, because um, provided you have an okay computer or laptop and maybe $20 to spare, you can, you could make a, a best-selling hit with that, to be honest. Um, there's yeah. no reason why you need to spend many thousands on the best equipment. I mean, th there are certain styles like orchestral music where I actually do think you need to spend that money. But, um, you know, for most <laughs> for most areas, it's uh, th there's a very low barrier of entry. I think that's very exciting. Yeah, and even for orchestral music, I mean, I think uh, Nathan can tell you more about that. Uh, you can get really close just with software uh, to getting the, you know, an orchestral sound. You don't need an orchestra for that, even though, you know, if you want to take it to the next level, yeah. you can take an orchestra for that. But uh, yeah, Nathan, Nathan is doing that more, uh, you know, making orchestral music just with software. Yeah. It's interesting how that's actually made that software as well. Yeah. Well, like you said, um, there might be some kind of barrier, uh, like the money for s certain plugins and software. But, um, you know, there's different different categories of uh, orchestral sounds, I'd say. Like with a lot of old synthesizer sounds, uh, you can actually come very close to making a good sounding orchestra game soundtrack. Uh, you know, the old modular or uh, the old analog synths do a good job at it. And there's a lot of... Um, Free to use um, plugins for uh, for DAWs. Maybe we should um, uh, say what DAWs are. Oh, yeah, please. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it's basically digital audio workstations like um, oh, you said Audacity earlier in our conversation ah, or mm -hmm. uh, Reaper, Pro Tools, Logic. Uh, the programs that you use to uh, make your music sound effects with. Windows Sound Player. Um, that's just... <laughs> uh, <laughs> who doesn't know Windows Sound Player? I mean, it's sure. called <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah, but um, getting back on topic, it's actually, you can make pretty good sounding uh, orchestral-like soundtracks. And, um, well, that's the, the first level is uh, synthesized uh, orchestral sounds. But you also have a lot of plugins where you can just control an entire orchestra with your MIDI controller. Um, uh, we should also elaborate on the MIDI controller, probably. <laughs> yeah, what's that? <laughs> it's, uh, uh, well, in, in most cases, it's uh, a keyboard, like a piano. Um, and every note you press um, is basically assigned to a MIDI value. So if you press the middle note, the, the C, then you send a MIDI note. And that MIDI note translates in a program to a music note. A C. So, if you play uh, a C on your MIDI controller, uh, you're gonna hear the violin play a note in C, for example. And you do that through sound libraries. This is a mystical word for me because um, I don't really know <laughs> what this entails. 
but um, for example in art you have brushes for example for Photoshop and you use different brushes for different to achieve different things um, yeah can I assume that a sound library would be similar or what it is uh, is it exactly uh, you could compare the two like uh, a brush is a, a different texture uh, a sound library um, gives you a different sound a different instrument uh, so yeah I'd say they're very comparable so you have a library of different instruments you can each uh, use through your um, MIDI thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly it. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. yeah, and with the MIDI, you control what notes the library produces. That's basically how it works. Cool. Uh, yeah. So with that, you can control an entire orchestra just by having a keyboard or a MIDI controller, piano, and a couple of plugins. Uh, so that's uh, that's also a way to get a cool orchestral soundtrack. That that comes really close to sounding like a real thing. And the next layer is obviously writing sheet music for an entire orchestra and then having it recorded. Might be a tad expensive, but um, but yeah, there's a lot of ways to go about making orchestral-like soundtracks. So uh, there's some barriers to some levels, but yeah. you can always just try making it with synthesized sounds to get started. You can also combine those two, you know. I know, yeah. for example, in... Uh, uh, I think it was actually uh, in Pirates of the Caribbean, <laughs> uh, you know, the mm -hmm. movie. There, the half of the music was written as, uh, you know, computer orchestral music. And there, the other half, to save money, I guess, was played in by a part of the orchestra. Uh -huh. And by combining those two, they could make, you know, a really nice orchestral soundtrack. Um, yeah, with which was part electronic, part real humans. That's really <laughs> cool. Wow. I think that's a fairly yeah. common approach these days, um, especially if you've got a soloist or there's just an instrument that's particularly important in whatever music you're writing. If the studio has a bit of budget, this could cost anywhere between, I don't know, $50 if you've just got a friend who can do it for you and probably 1000 or maybe 2000 if you want somebody who's quite well known to do it. Um, but you can just send the, the sounds you want to a professional musician. They could be on the other side of the world. Then they send you back a recording of just that thing. And because it's very important, because the listeners are very focused on it, then that bit where most of the attention is lying gets the best sounds possible because um, the software it can come really close to sounding real but um, it's still not perfect yet so you'll you'll get the best results from a live musician exactly yeah, yeah. agreed yeah i think that's just in general really important uh, with uh, also with uh, yeah, just with music in general that you you know music is a representation most often of a certain feeling or an atmosphere it always comes down to feeling and it's way more ungrabbable compared to other elements uh, for example uh, visual elements which uh, people are easier to you know they can grasp it but music is some like this driving energy behind a medium um, where people, which people experience, but they cannot wrap their head around, mm. you know? So it's like a driving force behind it, which makes it really subtle and really important that it's, you know, uh, emotional in a way and that it's 
that the humans are involved with this, <laughs> of course, like all the other things. But um, yeah, I, I, th I think you're really right about it, Edwin. That's uh, it's really important that you yeah, give this musical feeling. Yeah, that makes me wonder where would you two see the future of sound design in general for the game industry? Because I think in, in a lot of different aspects, I, I think audio is under, not underappreciated maybe, but I think there's so much more room for it to grow. Yeah. Maybe. yeah. Wow, the future of the audio and games, you know, it's a, it's a big one. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but either way, I think, I, th I think what you're saying is right. It's, it's, it might be underappreciated because a lot of uh, things right now is uh like just putting a loop under something or just making a simple soundtrack that repeats um that some games do that and it works but sometimes it doesn't uh and not all, not everyone is aware of the fact that it can be something more yet mm. and probably as we go on and there's a lot of more interesting interactive soundtracks and it becomes more common uh it might it might become more interactive and uh, it m might become more focused on the entire experience mm. um, so that maybe sound and music becomes a more integrated part of a, a game development team because right now uh, it's usually outsourced and it's usually done at the end instead of uh, a, a sound designer or, or a composer being an integral part of a, a game development team I think what you already see, uh, I mean, another. I think another huge part in this is um, uh, just basically processing power about what, what is possible with the, uh, uh, the resources we have now is that we most often just, um, we compose music, we make it interactive, but it's still, um, it's still audio we play. Uh, and this is a little bit hard to explain, but if it's, you know, I think eventually it will be possible within games to not to generate the audio instead of making interactive music by playing audio. Do you know a little bit what I mean with this? Yeah, that would be fantastic uh, yeah. if you could host your instrument inside the game. So the game mm. becomes almost like the exactly. door. Uh, yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that would be fantastic. And I would love that to happen. Yeah, I mean, me I too. Maybe <laughs> musicians or sound designers need to actively step into the role of game design to make these things happen because small anecdote i was at a game jam that's like almost a year ago and um there was also one sound designer and he made an amazing uh, small game in the span of eight hours which was basically geared towards blind people or people that could not um, see a full spectrum and um it was a vr experience and you could um, walk in the room depending of uh, on where you heard sounds and um it was basically a puzzle game and i find that super interesting because nice. it's it's opening up so much more also for people that cannot see and cannot play normal games um, on, on a monitor yeah Yeah, I think that's wonderful. I think that, um, you know, there are certain games which are played by blind people just because the sounds are just so good and so detailed, you know, that you can play a game just without actually seeing the game. 
<laughs> and some games are, I, I cannot really, it doesn't pop in my head which game this was, but there are some games which even blind people can play because of the good sound design. There was a black and white game on virtual reality. I saw it on the Oculus store. Unfortunately, I can't uh, remember the name, but I think it will probably be out by now, which again is, there are some visuals, but I think it's, you play it as a blind person. Um, and a lot of it's to do with uh, virtual reality has some quite good sound spatialization, which is basically mm -hmm. being able to hear exactly where a sound came from, exactly where it's pinpointed. Um, so with this game, although there is a visual cue about where sounds come from, uh, I think the main point is that a blind person perhaps could play it because they know exactly where everything is just by the, the sounds they're making. That's cool. That brings That's me like to the new. next question. What inspires you artistically? Like what type of games or a specific game even? Well, I can start with this one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah uh, for me, the one of... The, for me, the one, one of the biggest inspirations is, I think, just in general, the, com the composer Austin Wintry. This, this is for the music and because he makes for Journey and Apsu and uh, he, he made wonderful interactive sound, uh, soundtracks. And actually to a point where I'm, if I'm playing it, I'm like, wow, how, do you, how did you even do mm -hmm. this? You know? What was his name again? <laughs> Can it's you uh, repeat it? Austin, Austin uh -huh. Wintry. Okay. He made he made uh, the music for uh, Journey and mm -hmm. Apsu, and what I really liked also about the, for example Journey is that um, it was I think uh, a game uh, funded by Sony, and they were just like going back and forth between the development parts and uh, and the composer, and he he played a really big role in the, how the game eventually came to be, because he was really involved with involved in the whole game. Um, in the whole game development and the whole process. So they, uh, every time he sent like, uh, he, I saw an interview where he told me, uh, he told that every time he sent like a new piece of music for the game and then the people from the development part were like, yeah, but this is so good. Now we're going to make the game even better. And, we, and they changed the game, sent it back. And he was like, yeah, but come on, I need to make something different for this. And this was going on for three years until Sony said like, okay, guys, <laughs> it's enough. And um, well, for me, it, it's, it's actually a wonderful piece of art, the whole game. It's, uh, uh, that's, that's, this is one of the most inspirational games for me. But there are many other things which are inspirational beside games, I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> but for Nathan, what's for, uh, for you? Uh, my inspirations, well... Um I think I'm more of like um, you. You like a lot of artsy uh, indie games, which are like beautiful soundtracks, interactive stuff. I, I think I'm more of a, a thrill seeker. I like adrenaline. So um, <laughs> stuff that inspires me is like Dark Souls and Bloodborne. Mm -hmm. um, like those soundtracks are so epic, and yeah. when they when they come in. Um, it, it gives you a lot of like emotion and so overwhelming and it fits into the design so well and um well part of that is also because they uh, use a lot of silence in their games there is almost no soundtracks going on except for when you fight a boss <laughs> and uh, that makes when the music kicks in like it makes it so much more impactful um that's a bit pretty big thing that influ influences me like um use of silence is pretty important 
and to be aware of that um, makes your music more impactful. Like the use of silence is as well really important. Um, and for music itself, I I like a lot of orchestral stuff like Final Fantasy. Um, well, Dark Souls obviously uh, they do that as well. Uh, but also the more old school ish sounds that uh, well Pokemon use it used and uh, a lot of Game Boy Color games really and um, yeah except for that I have my own metal uh, side as well <laughs> so so there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that it kind of inspires me and uh, makes me able to go on and uh, and luckily it's kind of diverse so I always have something to draw from. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's a combination of all that. Yeah, <laughs> leading on from that, if you do you ever get creative blocks? And uh, if so, how do you work your way around those? Um, well, I've had one a couple of years ago. Uh, it was kind of my last one since then. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, well, uh, I've, <laughs> I found a way, I guess. <laughs> no, nah, but... But I was, I had to compose something for a string quartet and I don't know what, what it caused, but I, I just wasn't able to do it. Um, but I think that it was because I wasn't very aware of my process that I go through when I make something. And um, to alleviate it, my uh, teacher was like, okay, uh, in order to, you know, get rid of that creative block, we're going to get, um, get you to write down or get you to try a lot of different processes and write them down or remember them and um and see how that goes so from there on i tried like at least 10 different 10 different methods of making music and um and i documented everything wow and, and since then like whenever i'm not feeling one certain approach I always have another approach to try and when I try all those 10 approaches there's usually something that comes out of it and uh, even if that something is not something that is final uh, I have something that I can transform into new material and go on from there and um, you know when it's another day and I've tried those 10 things and even the transforming doesn't work I can just try it again another day another mood another setting so uh, there's just so many ways to, to make material um, that it's kind of hard for me to get a art block now. But it, it really boils down to being very aware of what the processes can be for you. That sounds mm. super amazing. Like, Can you maybe elaborate a little on these different processes? Because, I mean, there are also a lot of other creative people. Um, for example, an art uh, creative block is also very well known. I personally never had a creative block, so maybe I'm just lucky in that. But um, you are. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would really like to know what your approaches are, or maybe where you can compare these to other creative jobs. Um, I think there's some uh, some comparable things. Uh, if I if I looked at myself, like there's um, I, I usually I try improvising to make something. It's it's my go-to strategy. It's what comes easiest. So I just take in what needs to be done. So I'm like, okay, a game that's um, I don't know, dark fantasy and medieval. I'll, I'll just say something, and then I I try to take in the mood. Maybe look at some art or mood boards, 
and then just make music for whatever section I know there needs to be music for. Um, and that's usually, that's one of the approaches. But you could also uh, be more strategic about it and be like, okay, it's dark fantasy and medieval. Uh, so what instruments did they use in those times, you know, in medieval times? And then try and see if you, uh, if you can find something that inspires you there. So maybe do a more historic approach. Um, you can also look at what artists did uh, for the same kind of stuff, like dark fantasy, medieval, uh, there's Dark Souls again. So you can look to them for inspiration and then try to transform that or try to incorporate something of that in your own music and go from there. Um, what I've also done uh, is because I'm kind of a metal artist at heart, that's kind of my background, I've also just written a piece of metal uh, and that's how I fixed the string quartet the problem I was talking about earlier. Uh -huh. I just wrote a piece of metal <laughs> and then I just converted the entire thing to a string quartet piece. Wow. And it came out like pretty amazing. And uh, so that's another way to go about it. Just go to what you know best and then convert the material from there. That's so, so cool. <laughs> so there's a lot of ways. Thank you. But yeah, that's some of the uh, approaches that you could use. I'm amazed. <laughs> <laughs> that's a cool approach. Um, wow. Yeah. So how do you keep your voice authentic when you, well, like adapt your styles, as you said, for example, with the um, first writing something in metal and then, well, I don't know if that's the correct term, transposing it or whatever. I mean, transposing it is probably wrong. Please don't bash me on it, but... <laughs> Transcribing generally, but Thank we'll you. let it slide. <laughs> there it yes. <laughs> yeah, so my question was, um, how do you keep your authentic voice when you need to adapt your style, for example, for writing for other media? So, for example, let's say your natural style is uh, medieval dark fantasy which I've never heard somebody say, but sure. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> let's say you get uh, commissioned to write the next Pokemon game soundtrack. Well, how do, you, how do you remain authentic to your style while still keeping it appropriate? Because frankly, I think it would be pretty weird to have a dark medieval fantasy soundtrack on a Pokemon game. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be really weird. <laughs> uh, well, do you keep it authentic? Uh, to, yeah, 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 of, of course, question. in a way, but... But yeah, I think, uh, you know, as a composer for uh, media in general, I think it's really important that you love to make music in for just like a bunch of different kind of music. I mean, it's really hard to, there are only a few people who actually can do that. If you say like, I, I love to make uh, medieval, uh, I don't know what you said, but like medieval uh, Dark lute music. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Maybe. If you only make that, you know, then uh, then you're. I mean, it can be if if it's if you really are really strong in your niche, then maybe uh, th there's a like a path for you there. But in general, it's really important to, you know, be able to make different kinds of music. But of course, you have to be there has, there has to be some constant authentic theme in there, and I think that's kind of different for from everybody because it really comes down to your process and i think as you know the same with uh development and art and all, all kind of other stuff the process can vary from person to person you know a lot yeah. <laughs> i think uh the, the my process uh, of making music 
is way different than uh, Nathan's process for making music. I think it's really important that in your process there has to be some element which comes back which makes it yours, you know, and that can be your instruments. If you play a lot of... I, I collect all kinds of instruments and I record them and I make all kinds of stuff it's of it. Sometimes you don't even hear it's that instrument anymore. But it's my sound and that's what I do. If you have something that is yours and something that you can attach to a lot of different genres, then you can keep your... Uh, Authentic. That's a really different, different <laughs> word for me to pronounce. Authentic. <laughs> Authentic. True style. Yeah, <laughs> yeah true style. Yeah, that's so better. <laughs> Thank when, you. When you wrote on your website that you do like mad experiments with like sounds, I I was imagining you going with a recorder through the like apartment or wherever you are and <laughs> just recording everything. I mean. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. So how, how do you go about it? Do, do you really just sit there, eat an apple and record it? Is this your life? Yeah, that's my life. <laughs> no, uh, no, yeah, no, I have, to, I have these sessions where, um, where I just go out and record stuff. So that can be... You know, I've always a backpack with me. With there, in there, there's a, zoo, uh, a microphone. So um, that's always with me. So whenever I bump in you know in bump into something which is interesting then i record it or sometimes i just go to the forest and record over there mm -hmm. you know um like uh, last winter there was a i was in switzerland and there was a beautiful foggy morning and fuck uh fuck uh damps the sound you know so uh, you can make a really nice forest recording so i went into the forest to record because it was the perfect circumstances for forest recordings mm -hmm. you know um but I, you know on the other and that's more for sound design kind of stuff you know you need you need those forest sounds and twigs crackling and um uh, there was even ice so i could make ice cracks you know um but for uh, i also had a, a time that i was talking to a guy an old guy and he uh, was talking uh, we were talking a little bit about music and about music and he said like yeah i uh, you know in the in this other room over there i have a whole Uh, gamelan set, you know, and that's uh, like a traditional uh, Indonesian uh, setup for instruments with a lot of big bells and gongs and beautiful instruments. They're huge, by the so way. So we went to the. <laughs> it's huge. Yeah, it was like a whole room filled with instruments, wow. and I, and he took me there, and I was like, "Wow, man, this is this is amazing!" And uh, I I had my backpack with my microphone with me and. I recorded all those bells and gongs and whatnot. And um, I mean, it's not the best recording ever, but it's my recording, yeah. you know? And uh, that's, yeah. And um, so it's not, that's not really the Matt Professor-like experiment yeah. maybe, but it's a way to, um, yeah, to get authentic sounds and, and to then take the sounds into your, workstation and experiment with it can you make music of it can you make a whole track with just one twig crackling mm. you know can you make every instrument from it <laughs> um that's that's what i find really interesting cool now that yeah. that you have mentioned uh the software earlier maybe um what what hardware are you using because you just mentioned microphone and um yeah is it important oh. what microphone you're using even probably uh well who this is a uh 
Yeah, this this is I think a big debate within amongst uh, audio engineers oh, really? in general. <laughs> well, I'm I'm really f like okay, if you need of course a good microphone, but in my opinion you don't need those, you know, $10,000 microphones to record your stuff. I mean, come on, it's yeah, for me it's too much. Uh but you need a good microphone, of course. Well, there's there's one and big thing. Uh, I, I I don't want to interrupt you, but before we forget it, no, no. there's um uh there there's this thing where you have this recording quality and you can set it to uh, 48 kilohertz or 96 kilohertz, and it probably doesn't make a lot of sense right now if I just say that to you. But yep, for um <laughs> like uh it it basically means um. It's it's basically the resolution of a sound file. Ah, okay, so, that makes sense. Yeah, so if you have forty-eight kilohertz, then uh, that's that's the, the sound of a lot of MP3s and a lot of music, and um, you know that's it sounds pretty good. But once you get to um, tinkering with the material a lot and down pitching it and shifting the the times and stuff, then forty-eight isn't. Um, enough some sometimes so then you want to if you record in double that resolution in 96 kilohertz uh, then you can uh, you know those sound effects that you use in games like footsteps or the twigs that crack like boss was saying you can uh, f transform those a lot and work with them a lot and you know destroy the material but they'll still sound good uh, so the one thing that is pretty undebatable in sound design for games i'd say is that you record those uh uh, the, the important sound effects with 96 kilohertz so you can mess around with them and still have good uh, sounding material yeah yeah you can record your uh, you know if you have an iron ball for example you can record it on 96 kilohertz and if you down pitch it it can sound like a big gong you know uh, and that's no. nice about okay. recording in this big resolution so you say good microphone let's say i have a new phone <laughs> would that already go as good microphone because i mean like a lot of indie devs for example don't really have a super good audio equipment and just maybe want to start doing some simple sounds for i don't know buttons would a phone microphone already be all right um well it depends i mean uh i know professional sound designers who um, who also records, recorded some sounds with their mobile phone and it actually made it oh, to the wow. game. Uh, I didn't expect <laughs> that. <laughs> uh, huh. No, no. I, when I, when I, oh, actually, I, 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 I saw this in a, in a, um, uh, in a, how do you call that? Uh, in a talk. Uh, I didn't expect that either, but he compensates that also with all, with other sounds which are really good. So um, he kind of used the the crappiness of the microphone of the mo mobile phone to get something <laughs> but i i would not recommend to record your whole game by your mobile phone it's going to be difficult difficult to make that sound nice <laughs> yeah uh i mean yep i think it's the same with um with game art if you make everything in uh, microsoft paint then it's gonna you know it's gonna do something with your yeah, game it's right? gonna look <laughs> awesome <laughs> yes. Oh, recording on mobile phone could be an artistic choice, maybe, but 
<laughs> and uh, then the paint graphics. Perfect. Yes. Yeah, yeah, of course. And then th those two match perfectly, probably. <laughs> so um, are yeah. there any specific models of microphone that you would recommend to somebody on a budget? Um, I, I would definitely say a Zoom uh, microphone. So that's like the uh, the thing I think you're talking in right now, right? Yeah, I'm, I am talking into uh, a Zoom H2N. Well, yeah. well, people, does it sound good? Uh, <laughs> it's yours to decide. <laughs> um, no, uh, yeah, well, the, the nice thing about those microphones is that, uh, especially if you want to record something for, I mean, I mean, you can get those microphones for, I think, under 100 uh, This euros, cost me, I think, I think $40, maybe $35, $40. Oh, really? Yeah, cheap. Oh. Second hand, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, uh, well, wonderful. Okay, I mean, if you have that, you can. Uh, most of them they have two microphones actually, so you can record stereo, which means that if you record something, then uh, it plays back in both of your ears, which makes it more realistic and actually pretty good. Um, so a lot of those Zoom recorders have the stereo uh, output, and. Another thing is that it's portable. I mean, if you if you just have a microphone like that and you just go out into wherever you need to be to record your sounds, then you can come pretty far. You can, uh, even in your own kitchen, I think you can use all your kitchen equipment to make some really nice robots for your game. Hmm. So, yeah, I think I would really, that's just, I think if you're starting off with, with audio, that would be one of the first things to buy not like a really expensive microphone which you have to you have to plug into your interface and then to your pc or whatever and that's too much maybe if you just want to record some sounds yeah that's a good point because um professional microphones often use a different input that you won't find on a computer they often use xlr inputs which means you need a separate interface to buy on top of the microphone which can then plug into yes. the pc's usb uh, that's why I'm using an H2N right now. It's just, it's much easier. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You you need and a lot of microphones. They also need a, a phantom power, so that's uh, 48 volt power um, to get some tension on the membrane of the microphone. So they actually need to be amplified uh, in a way. The microphones itself, um, which makes it uh, more delicate to work with and um and also you know le uh, less attractive to take with you if you go out and needs you know sometimes some things you just cannot take to the studio with you thank you very much for listening this far we've split the podcast into two halves again to keep it from getting really long Please check out the links in our description if you'd like to stop listening here. They will give you a link to our Discord server and a link to Sinosaur. Or otherwise, you will find the next episode of this podcast is already available and you can just listen straight on. Oh.